0: And you just have to say that you're fine, but you're not really fine, because DM Your BF hasn't been on air since the last semester. And you don't know when Dane and Brent are coming back to host, so you just sit there, waiting in agony until... Your systems are offline. DM Your BF
1: is back in, bigger than ever. It is
2: officially being tracked in time. Oh, there we go. Just... Big brother is watching. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs>
2: this is so awesome. cool. Awesome, so we are recording. This is DM Your BF. I am the DM.
0: I'm the BF. And this is episode. <laughs> we, what, what episode are we on? I don't know. I've lost count at this point. <laughs> yeah, same. I think oh. I started as soon as we started doing Skype. I just it just completely phased out of my mind. <laughs> like I've just lost track. We've done so many, which is good. Which is good. We need more, more shows, more episodes. I'm excited. And we are I'm so honored to, so to have with us. Yes.
3: In law. Thank you so much for being on the show, Alvin. It's my pleasure, guys. Uh, you're making me feel ancient. <laughs>
0: we're just trying to bring that, that enthusiasm back. We're trying to, we're trying to reinvent the wheel here. One step it, at a time you know, through
3: I, GM. I, honestly, I'm having a major, right off the start, I'm having a major deja vu rush.
0: <laughs> like from <laughs> past interviews or?
3: No, from when it was still called Mount Royal College.
0: Oh, Amort, Yeah. Yeah, that was a while ago.
3: That is a yeah, long time.
0: Yeah, my uh, brother. Yeah, my brother went to MRC. MR, yeah, MRC, which is weird because then I I started MRU, um, just yeah, shortly after it changed. So I to me it's always been this way, but even like the couple years between me and my brother, it's it's still different, which is pretty interesting.
3: Yeah. Anyway, uh, I'm looking forward to chatting with boys, and and we'll uh, we'll have some fun here man, because there's nothing else to do right now, right? Can't water king. <laughs>
1: So
2: true. It's so it's so true, Elvin. Before we start, I just want to introduce you have you've done so much in your career. You are a musician, actor, author, motivational speaker. Um, you've had you've dabbled in, in politics, and you have worked uh, quite often with. I, I was reading a uh, telethon. The um out of that's out of Saskatchewan, I believe. Um, yeah. What, what else have you done in your career? I know I'm probably missing some other stuff <laughs> so
3: much. I know. <laughs> it's always difficult to try to give people the old resume, right? And, and yeah. I was actually, um, uh, I'm, I'm writing a second book. I've got, uh, my first book came out in 2007. And it was really just a response to all the questions that everybody always has about how do you, Function in a life without arms. And, uh, you know, it's a big part of my story. And even when I think about it, I've done a lot of things that um, people are so shocked by, but I never planned a single one of them. Honest to God, the only thing that I planned, which goes back to my full circle story with you folks, is going to Mount Royal in 1978 to study exactly what you guys are studying. And that was broadcasting when it was a two year program. Um, but you know, we can talk a lot more about why I have no arms as this interview goes along, but that was actually the only plan I ever made was to go to Mount Royal in 1978. I graduated in 1980. I learned while I was there, um, and I realized this isn't just going to be about Mount Royal broadcasting, but I learned when I was there that, uh, my, my love was DJing. Um, you know, and there's going to be a lot of of jokes that are going to come up that are going to sound funny, but they're not really funny. So I guess your audience will have to decide on when we push the applause button or the (laughs) last track, (laughs) because this is being recorded. But I couldn't do, um, you know, the handheld video cameras, uh, Mm -hmm. for example. I couldn't get up on a ladder and do lighting. I couldn't um, do a lot of those more heavy lifting exercises involved in broadcasting, but yet I still had to finish the program. I had to do photojournalism. I mean, that was, a, that was a step on its own. But as you go through the broadcasting program, as you folks would know, you start to figure out what's going to be your specialty. And I knew that I wanted to be a disc jockey. That way, I could couple my love and, and talent for music uh, with being on the air. I wanted to be one of those old school DJs that played classic vinyl. And I was able to get a job in Regina, uh, Saskatchewan. I grew up two hours away in Yorkton in 1980. And I thought I'd be there forever. But that didn't work out that way. So, yeah, there's been a few side roads. But the one consistency since 1988 has been speaking. That, that has been what I've been focusing on uh, most of my adult life. And here we are, 2020, who knew? And, uh, you know, the bottom line is that I think what's ironic is people say, well, do you talk about setting goals? No.
1: <laughs>
3: I never have. Because you never know when your goal is going to fall apart. I mean, are you yeah. in reality check right now or what? So that's probably how I ended up doing what I'm doing now is because there's such a wide array of knowledge gained from all the stuff that I've done that it gives me a great deal of credibility dealing with my career as a speaker and author.
0: So. Wow. So, uh, so, when, so when it comes to uh, speaking, how, how exactly did that manifest? Did you just like, obviously during your classes, I assume you're forced to present um, did you just find a love for it that way? Or was it just like this gradual, like, hey, I can actually do this. And then it kind of just progresses from there as, you know, more people want to hear your yeah. story.
3: Yeah. And again, I don't want this to be just about broadcasting. But I remember uh, when I first got to Mount Royal in 1978, um, I, like everybody else, probably at the time, thought you can study this for two years and let alone four years. Like, how hard can it be? You're just going to learn to talk. <laughs> well, of course, that's not how it works. Uh, I always yeah. vividly remember one of the first classes being speech class, and learning how to develop your voice. Uh, I don't know if you folks have done this, not to leave anybody out of this conversation, just kind of talk and shop here, but <laughs> I still have a tape of my voice when I first recorded it in 1978, the first week of speech class, and oh my God, I sounded like Mickey Mouse, right? <laughs> so you, you learn to kind of develop your skills, your breathing, your your timbre or your, you know, all of that stuff that comes with the mechanics of being a speaker. But I never, ever would have imagined that that background would give me the ability to be in the trade. And to mm. answer your question real quick, this is about what I was just saying, is 1981 showed up. It happened to be the International Year of Disabled Persons. Therefore, in Regina that year, there was a lot of focus on public events, dinners, fundraisers, conventions where they were looking for somebody to come and talk about life with a disability. That was the whole focus of awareness of the International Year of Disabled Persons declared by the United Nations. So I got an opportunity to hone some MC skills. I started getting this ability to go to schools and talk about life without arms. And then all of a sudden it occurred to me, I can make a living at this. So I actually got a, a leave of absence from my job in radio. I thought I'd come back, but I never did. Um, I ended Jeez. up working in a nonprofit organization in Saskatchewan called the Abilities Council, which were uh, managing workshops for intellectually handicapped adults. And I got into fundraising. Um, I got into community relations, still using my communication skills. But I think to get real cheesy now, guys, I think my destiny being born this way was absolutely to be a teacher of the word but not in a classroom uh not not in a in a setting of one spot but all over the planet and it turned out that was the other thing that took place is who knew this would become i think we're finding this out now we're all children of planet earth and i really got Mm -hmm. into that whole holistic really woo woo stuff too uh i can talk about that as we go along but yeah that's how it all all clicked in i i haven't um gotten away from broadcasting which back to your question was yeah i do telethons uh not only in saskatchewan but in vancouver i still do a telethon there i've done over 120 telethons in wow. canada in wow. my wow. entire career since 1976 and it, part of it's because of broadcasting but again we'll get to this i'm sure but the other part is i've gotten to be known as the guy who plays the drums with his feet <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's incredible yeah, I was, uh, Dane informed me, uh, of who my, who the guest was for the show. Um, and I was like, I was like, okay. So I did some research and I found out your backstory. And I was like, wow, this is, and it was just like, it was so rich. So to hear this, this other perspective, you know, coming from like this other side as opposed to the, well, I guess what you defined as your superhuman ability, you know, it's just, it's, it's enthralling. Like it's just, it's so captivating. And I just got to give you more credit for that. Thank and it's you. interesting, it's interesting that you mention, um, how you didn't, you don't really set goals for yourself. Cause I find a lot of teachers are especially, you know, now that I've grown up, maybe because I found when I was like, let's say middle school or whatever, everyone's like, you know, you have to choose a career. You have to go through the specific pattern. You know, you select here and then you have to plan out, you know, where you're going to be for the next five years of your life. And I was just like, I, I have no idea. And now that I'm growing up and I'm kind of seeing this perspective where, nobody has really any idea what they're doing. And even, people, even people that do plan, they're like, well, everything just went out the window because of whatever reason. Like, I had this friend who was studying to become a cop, so he took criminal justice, and he did all the work. He tried really hard. Um, and then he even had a connection. His uncle was a constable or something. I'm not, not exactly sure. And then when he went to apply, he got denied because he was colorblind. They were like, yeah, it's, you had everything perfect except just this one little thing and he's like there's nothing I can do and I'm just like that's heaven. so like you can do everything right you can plan it out and even then it's just it doesn't matter you know you just got to go with the flow at the end of it and I feel like I can really resonate with that and I can see it in your story which I mean speaks to the incredible lengths that you've gone to and other people have gone to that you know you've set this pathway you set this way but I guess everyone's kind of experiencing me Dane, for ourselves as we Continue on with dmrbf or whatever else we're doing.
3: Yeah, you know what's interesting about that
0: observation as well
3: is that <laughs> I was actually tempted to say just goes to show your instructors don't know what they're doing either. But I won't. <laughs> um, no, I'm kidding. Obviously, I think what, what, what really shows what you're saying, and I, I'm not trying to get all philosophical deep here, okay? But you know, just to kind of fill in the blank here, because right now I think your audience would appreciate this. I was born without arms. But the bigger part of the story of just being born this way, because lots of people are born with, you know, limb deficiencies or birth defects, whatever you want to call it. What changed in my circumstance was what it was caused by. And that was a morning sickness medication called thalidomide. And why that's important is because the general knowledge of the time was nil. They did not know anything about this. This was a brand new thing. Kind of feel like today and the virus, you know, I think that's people are not to jump ship onto another topic here, but I think that's, what's driving everybody crazy is we're in a phase right now where we're going, Hey, we've never done this before. Well, guess what? I've never done almost everything in my life before. So I had to learn how to do it. When you learn how to do it, you start to realize that you can multitask and not at the same time, kids, by the way, not good for you, but you start to realize that you have more capability to learn and grow than a lot of people give you credit for, and by the way, I'm going to take a very, very respectful shot at organized education. It's terrible. <laughs> it is terrible. It, it puts us into these little boxes and says you will do this, you will do that. You know, yeah. my son's a perfect example. I have a 34 year old son, and when we moved here to Calgary in 2000, he can't. He was going into grade 10, and he had to make a decision when he enrolled at, in this case, Lord Beaverbrook, which stream. He was going to follow. He was conflicted because he was in band. He loved to play his saxophone, but he was more interested in auto mechanics. He wanted to be a mechanic, but he couldn't pick both. He can only pick one. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Nothing you can do about it, right? So is he doing music now? No. He's actually working on an assembly line at a factory, and good for him. But what his training is in, he's actually got his fourth-class power engineering ticket. He got that because he realized that he needed a job that would always be there. Well, it's ironic, isn't it? Now it seems (laughs) that what a person should have chose for a career is stocking shelves at a grocery store, (laughs) right? And I'm I'm kidding only a little bit. But the reality is we find out – you hit the nail on the head, brother. As we grow up, we start to learn that maybe that's not exactly what we were thinking when we were 17. And that's what's so ludicrous about education. But even more ludicrous is this idea – That once we get stuck in the loop, we can't leave it, right? You gotta, you wanna hang in there and get your degree. And a lot of people learn when they get their degree, maybe by the time they even get it, boy, this is sounding ominous, isn't it? That there's no job to get out there. Actually, what many people forget, and I wanna make this point and then we can move on, university is not just about the course load. University is about growing as a human being. And by the way, I would, I would, I mentioned one thing about the concept of growing up. I know lots of adults that tried to grow up and they never bothered. So this is more about growing. And that's what I would say that I did in my life having no arms, is I was in a constant growth mode even to this day. I've got to learn how to function without arms. I have to learn how to do it on my own terms. And when you do that, you find out there's so many things you're more capable of than you would have ever imagined. And that's kind of a message I'm trying to give to the public right now, is this is a test, and it's a tough one. And here's the deal. You don't get to pass or flunk. You just have to keep on taking the test.
2: That's so true. <laughs> that, that, I, that really re- resonates with me in a sense because I can relate that back to um, my childhood dream, teenage dream. Uh, now, adulthood dream is the same, uh, is to become a filmmaker. And I think for a lot of people, like becoming a filmmaker, it becomes sort of... Um, you become disillusioned when you enter the school system or post-secondary sometimes, because you realize that, um, it's really, it's really, it's, it's really luck of the draw when you'll make money doing it when you actually graduate, because it comes down to, you know, whether you might be working in a job related to video, but you won't be like working your dream job as soon as you graduate, unless you put in the work outside of class, unless you, unless you just become a great visionary, great filmmaker. And that requires doing stuff outside of class. And I think a lot of it is just like what I've realized four years into my degree now is like, you can't be trained to do something. And like you, you can be trained to do something, but it won't be, it won't be, you won't be being trained to do what you like have always loved to do. And that what is like your passion and dream, unless you can kind of relate the technical skills back to making your passion come true. But like, I find like, best advice i've ever been given is just like just go out there and live your life like just just do as much as you can take in as many experiences as you can and like that's just as valuable as any education i think is just like just going out and living just just meeting people just talking just putting yourself in new uh positions and i think that's just like that's what university lets you do but it it doesn't always encourage you to just like just break out of the of the class structure And I think that should be one of the most important parts of university is just, like, encouraging people just to completely, you know, deviate from the path. Because otherwise, how will people know how to get to where they really want to go if they're just following this line that, like, doesn't really go anywhere specific? It's just It just leads you to, like, leaving the school, basically. There's nothing else after that. That's why
3: roadmaps have so many different roads on them
2: exactly it's so true it's so true you you just don't know you just you just put yourself out there every day and you you do something you just follow what you know you enjoy and what you know you're good at and you just you just whether you're kind of having to do something else to make money you just always have to i think go back to what you really love to do and just balance the two like yeah fortunately a lot of us we have to do mundane jobs or whatever growing up that um (laughs) we don't want to we don't want to do for more than a certain amount of time but sometimes you just have to like embrace it while you also just fully embrace your dream at the same time is what i basically what i realized is like that there's like so much compromise in following your your heart following your dream but it'll pay off if you just
3: just go yeah we uh we they don't teach a course in humility in university do they (laughs) you know that to me that's one of the most underrated elements in humanity is humility and i'm not talking about the fact that we all have to be humble people in the sense but i think there's a lot of humility floating around right now too not to make this about right now but people are starting to find out you know and ego is is another enemy that that people fight i think you guys need to also understand that what i where i grew up in rural saskatchewan in a small town you also learned the value of community I don't know, somewhere Mm -hmm. along the line, not to get too weird about this, but I think we started raising our kids to make them understand and believe that they were the most important person on planet Earth. And 7 billion people on planet Earth, I'm not sure who gets to be the judges (laughs) and who, who gives out the trophy. And I'm being sarcastic, but you know what I mean? And that's the problem is we find that we're told we're special, we're told that we count, we're told that we matter, we're told we've got a mission in life, and it goes on and on and on and on. And I've used those words on stage thousands of times. But I also add another thing on stage in the meantime of all of this is we have to be prepared to have our ego adjusted every now and then because life does not all go smoothly, clearly. And I think that's why a lot of times young people get some mental health struggles is they start to get conflicted in their mind with the way they were raised by their mom or dad or whoever raised them and what the reality of the world is like. And by the way, if you were lucky enough to have parents who loved you, boy, were you lucky. Because I think that's the other thing is that there's so many people that do not have the support network growing up. You know, guys, to, to be honest with you, when I tell my story, and it's not about humility, I have to tell the story also of my parents, especially my mom. See, there's a key nugget in this that we haven't talked about yet, which I really want to talk about. I was also homeless when I was five days old. And that happened by nature, in a sense, because my birth family, as it turned out, were not prepared to take care of me. But it was more of a stigma of the time. In 1960, people born like me were viewed as having no value. We were going to have zero quality of life. It was just the way it was. It's hard to believe, isn't it? but what happened in the best possible way i mean i can't even believe this happened to me i was put in a foster home and the good luck part of my story was the foster home happened to be with people who were elderly in a sense in that they were 55 and 53 why that was important is by the time you guys are already figuring this out and you're young a lot of people by the time they get into their 30s and 40s and their bodies start to leave them and their hair starts to fall out and their that starts to grow, we start to kind of go, yeah, geez, maybe I should have spent a little less time worrying about the vanity and a little bit more time worrying about my character. You know, and I think yeah. that was the other thing I was taught in a home like that was I learned to use my feet before I even have a memory. So the instinct would have been to take care of me. This is the gap that I'm talking about now, is when we started telling our kids, oh, you don't have to make your own lunch, honey. Oh, you don't have to do your own laundry. Oh, you don't have to do any chores. Your job is being a child. (laughs) I'd love to know who thought that one up because life sucks lots and we have to be resilient enough to know that. But also the skills that we learn is huge. You know, Mm -hmm. my son, he's had a few things go wrong in his life. But the one thing that has always gone right is his resiliency. Guess why? Because he grew up in a home where we made him do his laundry where we made him make meals. We made him take care of his room. We made him accountable for his mistakes. I know that sounds like an old fart talking, but the trouble <laughs> is that old farts sometimes know a little bit more than we give them credit for. Yeah. And I think that's something we can learn, especially right now. I was, you know, I was funny, Dane, you were talking about you're living back at home. Yay. How um, fun is that? I mean how many <laughs> young people out there now are forced yeah. to live with mom and dad again and, Oh, God, it's nauseating, isn't it? You have to put up with them and their behavior. And a little cautionary tale here, this is going to sound pretty gross, but I'm Alvin. Let's keep in mind your mother carried you inside her body for almost a year. And remember that they're not the enemy. In fact, that's the bottom line. I had such mm-hmm. a great relationship with my parents, but it wasn't perfect. They, in fact, made me feel like I needed to leave so I could find my own independence. And sadly, we lost them. Mum in 96. And dad in 2001 but my point is this nobody has a perfect existence
1: exactly what
3: we can do in especially this time of our lives right now with this 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 terrible problem is examine who we are as people do a lot more reading do a lot more and by the way you need to hear this i also had a lot of fun at mount royal college i (laughs) I had a lot of fun at mount royal college they had a we had so much fun there i think that's the other thing is we can't deny the fact that as you're young enjoy it man because you know you get to be 59 years old like i am and this is what you get to look like so take advantage of it while you got it right
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's my mentality going forward i'm trying to well as much as i can you know uh try to try and take advantage of every single day I, i look back at you know when i was 18 just about to graduate uh high school and it was just like the world seemed like endless and Now it's slowly, I guess it's slowly setting in that time just keeps on going, getting faster and faster and faster. And the years, they just don't stop, you know? So I'm really trying to focus on more like taking advantage of, you know, life and reassessing my mindset to not be so negative and to like embrace these changes, embrace the positivity in in everyday life. Because I feel like just, yeah, being miserable because of COVID isn't really healthy, you know, especially for sustained periods of time. I'm like, I don't think I can do this, like in all honesty, I don't, I don't think I can, can like keep, keep this up. So I'm just trying to, you know, just, uh, use different outlets, like DM your BF, uh, try and distract myself with, you know, coursework that I still have to do and, you know, just life in general, spending time with my family and, you know, just, just having a blast while doing it, which I think is really important, you know, to take away from this all. And I'm glad that, you know, you touched on the relationship and, uh, that we have with our parents because I, I myself have been very fortunate to have a great relationship with my parents and I every and I always I was raised that way so when I entered like the workforce and I heard other things or I heard friends mention stuff that that's like unnatural like their parents kicked them out when they were 16 or something like that I'm just it's it's mind-boggling and I didn't have that perspective until I grew up a little bit and now I'm just like now every day I'm so thankful for to have this opportunity because I just it's understandable that not everyone has it and so you just got to use what you have, you know? You Absolutely. And, and, you
3: know. and, well, I appreciate you saying that, too, because I, I think that's what I was talking about, about the humility. You know, we're starting to realize, hey, oh, oh, we're all in this clump together at the same time. Yeah. You know, it's really funny, just to add one thing about what you said, too, and that is that, that I had a very golden opportunity in my life. This is a nice rounding of my story as I've started talking about being raised in a foster home. They were my only parents. I I never left. I had two older brothers. I actually have a brother who's going to be this makes me laugh eighty seven years old this summer, and I have wow. eighty four years old or probably eighty three years old. And uh, wow. I say that only because I grew up like an only child. But another thing huh. about it was in nineteen ninety three, I had an opportunity to meet my birth family, and I found out the whole story. And I didn't do it because it was some kind of reality television show. Okay, I love television. I love Ooh. productions. I did it for a very, very personal reason, and I'd love to share this with you if you don't mind. And I think part of it was that a lot of the so-called victims of thalidomide were really the babies. That's how we were described. Uh, I'm not trying to be all intellectual here, but I think the moms were the victims because they were given medication because they were ill during their early stage of their pregnancy, which hits most women, and that's morning sickness. But this was also an era when we didn't know anything about pharmaceuticals. Now we do. Now we know you shouldn't take anything when you're pregnant. And even now we're starting to discover even more enlightenment through legalized marijuana. I mean, my wife is a is a regular CBD oil user. She's She was a runner. So she's got knees that are kind of wonky. She used to wake me up all the time at night because she couldn't sleep with her legs twitching. Well, now she sleeps eight hours straight. So I think my point is that In 1960, when I was born, we didn't really know anything about pharmaceuticals, but more than anything, we really didn't know anything about how to raise a child without arms. My parents' age gave them wisdom, which meant they weren't worried about whether I would function or not, because as my mom said, the moment she saw me starting using my feet for my hands, I was giving her my roadmap, to go back to that reference. But when I met Sophie, my birth mother, my birth father passed away many years ago before I met him, met the family, I learned a valuable fact. My birth mother, Sophie, lovely lady, we lost her last year. She was 93. She wouldn't have made me do things. She would have done it for me because of the guilt involved in her mind causing me to have no arms. I had the opposite growth when I was a kid in New York Yorkton, Saskatchewan. Because my parents knew I had to learn to do things on my own. So there's actually a really good lesson coming here. Failure is a great thing. Yeah. Our society says it's a bad thing. I'd love to know who invented that idea. <laughs> Failure is a prerequisite to success. And the more you fail, the more you succeed. Right now, some people are going, awesome. I'm going to be awesome someday. <laughs> I, I'm putting my tongue in my cheek. But really... When we fail, we can only do one thing, and that is try to figure out a way to get better. That's a message I would give to all the students that may be watching this, as lectury as this may sound. Right now, you do not have an excuse for not studying. And maybe by studying a little bit more, you can not only improve your grades, but you can start to understand that this is not going to last forever either. You will not be in school until 2045, trust me. Although your instructors didn't get that memo, but I I think anyway, the fact of the matter is that's a really important lesson to learn is that when we have time to develop, take advantage of the time. You know, you mentioned earlier in the interview that I've got a long resume. I'm not bragging about that. That was me just being curious, you know? Mm -hmm. So actor, what did I do to act? Well, heck, I got a phone call from the X-Files one day because they were looking for an armless actor because they couldn't find one. And they saw me on a telethon. Using my feet to dial a or telephone, they were filming in Vancouver at the time. This was 1996. What? And before you know it, I'm standing on a set with Scully and Mulder being an uh-huh. armless preacher on an episode called Humbug. You guys wow. can look it up later. Humbug, and play an armless preacher. And I'm standing around looking at all these movie stars with a crew of 80, you know, on uh, North Delta, British Columbia, pretending to be Florida, thinking... <laughs> How did Alvin Law get from being born without arms in Yorkton, Saskatchewan, to hanging out having coffee with Scully and Mulder? You know, <laughs> and thinking, well, because I was never scared to take a chance on something because I knew it would either succeed or fail. You can't be scared to try new things mm-hmm. in your life because you're afraid you're not going to make it. That's just that's quitting before you even get your racing shoes on.
2: Wow, that's that's really inspiring because it shows like like to to be on the x-files set that is huge (laughs) and and, like you were you didn't even like it's not like you saw like oh there's an audition i'm going to go to the audition they called right you you just went out you lived your life someone noticed and you fit the bill and that's something that i think is just incredible like that just shows like you don't even have to intentionally do something and for a result to happen you just live your life and you just go out and you just Show up, and you just you just say yes to things—not to everything, but a lot of things. You just yeah, say yes and put yourself out there and do do as much as you can, right? And uh, eventually, you just don't know where that's going to lead. Like it's 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 amazing to me. That's really amazing.
3: Well, we hear of the we heard of the term starving artist, and I and I can totally mm-hmm. relate to that. And there's an irony to it. You know, I was I was laughing at myself this morning because. Ryan Reynolds was in the news. He made a big donation yeah. to Canadian food banks. And uh, I actually met him.
1: <laughs> really? Uh, wow. Yeah,
3: when he was dating Alanis wow. Morissette. Did you know that Ryan wow. Reynolds dated Alanis Morissette?
0: <laughs> I had no idea. I
3: did not know that. There you go. There's what? a little bit of scuttlebutt for you, a little bit of, of gossip stuff. We should be on a gossip show. No. <laughs> I swear to God, I was in the, uh, I think it was uh, Edmonton Airport Air Canada Lounge. And they were sitting there, Ryan Reynolds and Alanis Morissette, and they were just hanging <laughs> up. And wow. I sat relatively close, not because I'm starstruck, because I don't get that. But it was actually <laughs> Ryan Reynolds who looked at me and just basically, and I remember exactly what he said, because I was having a coffee with my foot. And he literally said, geez, man, you don't see that every day. And he started chatting. And, wow. and nobody knew who he was. He was nobody then. Yeah, so set was huge. What she was doing in the Edmonton Airport Lounge, who knows? <laughs> the fact of the matter is, I always remember thinking to myself, I bet you Ryan Reynolds didn't think that his career was going to go where it went when we were sitting in an Air Canada Lounge 20 years ago in Edmonton. You exactly. he, never know where it's going to go. No, That's why you step out and do as much as you can. I'm going to get a little deep one more time. And that is this. My wife actually and I've been married since 1993. That was why I met my birth family. It was my wife's idea. I wasn't looking to find my first family. I was looking to really basically just say to my birth mother, thank you. You know, oh. to her. my wife's brilliant. You know, she's obviously a woman. In this case, I'm heterosexual. So, you know, she has a woman's perspective. And it was always about, hey, Alvin, this is not about you meeting your birth family. It's about giving her some peace of mind, knowing that she didn't do anything wrong. And in fact what she did by giving you up gave you a lease on life that nobody can put a price on. It's very romantic, but that's exactly what happened. But what's funny about it is my wife, Darlene, is also in her own way, brilliant. Um, She's a feng shui master. And feng (laughs) shui, of course, is the study of how we place things in our homes and our businesses. It's become a bit of its own joke, right, in in comedy. But the reality, is you can measure energy. You can measure a room's energy. She has rods that do it. And first time I saw this, I was like, yeah, sure you can. It's amazing. You know, if you ever walk into a, here's a great example, and especially students. Now is a great time to declutter. Now is a great time to tidy up your environment. And I'm not preaching at you like a dad now. I'm saying that if you have a cluttered environment, you'll have a cluttered mind. And the more that you can free the clutter in your life, the more that you can have a clear mind. I know it sounds, again, a little bit woo-woo, but the reality is you can measure energy. You can also measure it in a human being. It's why we're going to be not locked away forever, is we're not designed to be cave people. We need to get out in society, and they will find a cure for this. They will find a treatment for this. We've got to have some faith in the science. There's some really, really, really smart people out there, not including Donald Trump, but I won't go
1: there.
3: <laughs> we are going to beat this, but we've got to have positive energy to get yeah. through it, Whatever it takes, because we all know what this is like. And I mean, I'm going to be real serious now. University is a hotbed for mental health challenges. Oh, yeah. It's a for mental health opportunities. I spaced those two sentences out on purpose together because we do not have to live alone in this. You guys have the miracle of modern media. Look how we're doing this today. You're in one house, you're in another house, I'm in my house. We didn't have this in 1978 when I went into broadcasting. I used to edit audio tape with a razor blade between my toes. doing Audio documentaries. Absolutely. That's how we edited audio tape. I got an A in that class. Everybody's looking at the dude without arms going, shit, man, I should get my act together and do this. If he can do it with his feet, what's my excuse?
0: Yeah, literally. So I'm
3: saying, we all have to put this in perspective. That's, that's the bottom line in this interview today.
0: Wow.
2: I I feel like this interview comes at a really good time, like, because, I mean, people were, we were all experiencing challenges previous to this also, but this is just a universal challenge. We're all in this at the exact same time. Some people are dealing with it a lot better than others. And I'm sure a lot of people are looking at people dealing with it better than, than themselves and thinking, like, what are, what are they doing? Like, we're all in, we're all the same right now. We're all in our house. But how are some people keeping up and perhaps just responding to it better? So I think this, I think this will be a good time for a lot of people just to to get in the routine of of just shifting their perspective, and then when we are lifted from this uh, housebound procedure, we can just just go out and just finally just sort of relax a little bit and just do the things we've
0: always wanted to do. I, I,
2: I that's what I hope. I think a lot of people will respond quite well once we're back to normal.
0: Hopefully. Yeah, like merry condoing your whole life basically, because I mean, what else are you gonna do, right? <laughs>
3: yeah. Well, I and mean, you know what's what, what's fascinating about what you just said too is I think that's that's I'm I'm guilty of this. I bet I'm not the only one out there. I'm a bit of a control freak, so it's hard to just let it go. You know, You yeah. have to. That's what I mean. This is a test. We have to let it go. We can't go yeah. stir crazy. Um, You know, one of the things I loved about what's going on with a lot of people is they're finally starting to reach out and be in touch with people they've totally ignored Mm -hmm. or people they've forgotten about. And again, we're borderline getting a little cheesy here, and that's okay. I think we have to be willing to be cheesy now because we're not made of stone, okay? We're human beings. We need to be with somebody. We need to be talking to somebody. We need to be, you know, what I love is I've got so many musician friends because I do play music. And I've got so many musician friends that are now putting music out for free. You know, just entertain yourself. Some of us might be getting cynical of the distractions, you know, people putting little contests out there, post your favorite picture of a beach or post your favorite picture of something. I know that sounds shallow, but let's. this is not shallow. This is coping. Whatever it takes right now to cope. I'm very, very lucky, and I mean it, I'm very lucky that I happen to have a business that is fine. It's not perfect because I earn income from speaking and they're not paying me to talk to my wife in the kitchen. (laughs) So I have to take advantage of this time I'm writing. But I'm also not getting up in the morning stressed out. I'm very fortunate. Now, this is going to sound a little bit, well, you can judge how it's going to sound. I think what worries me about too many people is they didn't plan for this. And that's why their their mental health is struggling because they don't have savings. Here's my point. Humility is also about understanding that it's okay to ask for help. Mm-hmm. Please, please, please ask for help. Don't be embarrassed to go to the food bank.
1: Mm-hmm. Don't
3: be embarrassed to, to send in a, a, an application for money from the government. Don't be embarrassed to sell, even know somebody that, that is wealthy to get a, a loan or some money on the side or even talk to your bank. The banks are being very understanding right now. That's the part I think that people aren't talking about. is frankly they're just embarrassed. I hear you, man. It's embarrassing to, to be able to show your flaws to the world. But yeah. we're all in this together, and I know that uh, how it sounds. But now is not the time for you to take an ego dive and go, I can't go ask for help. My God. Here's a, here's a real reality check, guys. 1978, <laughs> back to then, I came to Mount Royal College from Yorkton, Saskatchewan, all by myself. And I swear to God, I couldn't even do up my own pants. Wow. Wow. I could go to the bathroom myself. I learned that skill much younger. But do the math. They didn't have sweatpants like we've got now. They didn't have athletic pants like we have now. Everything had a button and a zipper. Let me uh, give your audience a challenge. You want to do something when you got nothing to do today? Go to the <laughs> bathroom the next time you have the chance and don't use your hands. I dare you. I dare you.
1: And, and right know now you're
3: thinking, well, I wouldn't <laughs> be able to do it. Wrong answer. I do it all the time. I've learned to adapt. I have special clothing now. My shirts are fixed up. This is bought off, off, off a rack. I think I'm wearing my Tommy Bahama today. But these are just, you know, my wife fixed up the sleeves. My pants all have elastic waistbands inserted into mm-hmm. them by Taylor tailor I have here in Calgary. It was about adapting. Now, again, I'm not trying to brag about this. I'm saying if I can adapt, so can you. But the going to the bathroom without your hands exercise is actually not a joke. I'm serious. Try it. Because we need a little perspective on how lucky we actually are right now. No matter yeah. whether we're hurting or not, it could be worse. I know how that must sound, but it could be <laughs> so much worse.
2: It really could. Yeah. That's that's incredible. incredible. Uh, Brennan, I hope you, uh, you're trying to do that later on today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll Skype call you later.
1: I'll
0: let you know how it goes.
3: Yeah, we're gonna start a whole new series of X-rated videos on the internet. Woohoo! Go to the bathroom with Alvin. Yay!
0: It'll be the new downs. It's gonna go viral.
2: I could see in Brennan's eyes he's like, "I'm gonna do that later."
0: <laughs> Guaranteed. That's 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 hilarious. I just want to segue for a little bit and talk about talk about your musical career. Um, I just want to. I want to know because I've been watching your videos and, and it seems that music has always been a part of your life, like even growing, like especially when you were young. I want yeah. to know how exactly does that manifest or what was the inspiration? Were your parents yeah. fans of music or? Uh,
3: you know, that's a great question. Um, I am not overly organized religion. Is that okay. a word? Um, my parents were. So my earliest memories were Sundays in church and my mom loved to sing. So I sang along with her in church, and then I joined church choir, and then I got into tap dancing. Uh, we were limited in terms of the things that I would do with my life. I often make a joke because it's meant to be funny,
1: yeah. but it's
3: real, is the only sport that I could play growing up that made sense was soccer, and I had the benefit of never getting the penalty petitioning wall with my hands. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> but literally, we did not play soccer in Yorkton, Saskatchewan growing up. There was soccer balls, but there was no league. There was no organized. <laughs> Everybody played hockey. So I li- getting to your answer, just a sec. I literally tried to skate one day with skates my dad got from a guy at work whose son had outgrown them. Dad mm-hmm. sharpened them. He was a mechanic on a grinding stone, which I'm sure that's not how you're supposed to sharpen skates. <laughs> and I literally went out on the ice, and the first thing I did was the nosedive right on my face.
1: Oh.
3: God. No. I know, and that's the point, is your audience just flinched. What do you think my dad did? You think my dad went out and picked me up and dried my tears and took me to Dairy Queen? No, my dad on the board's going, get your ass up. You're you're making a mess on the ice there. You're bleeding everywhere. That was how it was to grow up in my home. So I began the painful reality, understanding that I was not going to be an athlete. I tried piano. That was the first one. These are all stories I even tell in my speech. I tried getting lessons, and a lady that was not a horrible person, she just sounded like one. You remember that energy thing? She yeah. had the opposite of positive energy. She was just a negative person. Did you ever get around huh. someone around for 30 seconds It was like 25 seconds too long? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway. It
0: drains her life force. <laughs> that's
3: right. So that's what she was like. So then I thought, well, I can't play music because she's an expert. But the key story, which is almost like my signature story in my book and in my speech, I'll give you the short version, is... A band director in Yorkton, Saskatchewan, named Blaine McClary, came up with this bizarre notion to mount a trombone on the side of a wooden chair with metal clamps and rods, and I played it with my right foot like this. Hmm. So I would sit in the chair and I would play the trombone. It looked bizarre. Um, And you can find this all, by the way, I'm not trying to be commercial here, but uh, (laughs) one of the things you may have seen in your research was my Goalcast video, which shows... Uh, the video and imagery of me playing the trombone. It's a still image, but you can find it all at alvinlaw.com. I'm just, that's a simple place to look. But the fact of the matter is playing trombone was likely the biggest change in a positive nature of my life after being adopted by my parents. Wow. Because it was the culture. This is very important and, and I, I'm, I'm biased. I admit I'm biased. My culture became music. And then my culture became jazz music. And my culture being jazz music meant jazz is meant to be fun and improvisational. And don't forget, I was coming up in an era when we were starting to hear a lot of bands that were making a lot of noise. But even back then, I see over your shoulder there a Led Zeppelin poster. I oh, loved yeah. that band. <laughs> and every time I played or listened to Led Zeppelin, I smiled. And then bands like Nirvana came along. And it just, it just bummed me out, man. Like... I understand Kurt Cobain had issues, etc. My point is this, music lifted me in my life because I was not only listening to music, I was playing it. And trombone led to jazz camp and jazz camp led to experimenting with music, including trying the drums. So I started playing the drums and then mom and dad were able to buy me an old used set. So I'd go down to the basement. If I was your age right now, living at home in Yorkton, Saskatchewan, I can guarantee what I'd be doing. I'd be playing my drums eight hours a day, right? Wow. You can't do that at home because it bothers the dog. And, <laughs> but see what I mean? I learned to get joy in my life, and here was the key. So did my friends. When I was playing my music, I was playing music with other people that love playing music, love making music. When you get in a crowd like that, celebrating your life is not all that difficult. And, you know, we can't go down the road of, well, look at all the rock bands that broke up or split up or had issues that's a whole other story the fact <laughs> of the matter is making music supposed to be fun and i think that's what i learned is i could even have fun not having arms and i still play the drums to this day oh and by the way i've also got two pianos in my house so i can give wow. the middle toe to the lady who said i could never play music hey
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's inspiring so you initially learned to play uh, drums and the piano, like did you, um,
3: did you I, just faked, learn? I just faked it yeah. yeah, I think what happened with Jazz Camp was I learned that improv, improvisational skills are very important, but let's be, let's be candid here, you can't play something unless you learn how to read the music You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a story with you guys that's going to absolutely sound like bragging um, In 2016, and you mentioned it, you saw the video uh, of uh, called The Superhumans It's uh, the 2016 Paralympics trailer. It's so ironic because we were actually discussing the idea of being in Tokyo for the Summer Paralympics this year because the music video that was produced in 2016 in England, which I was the drummer in, there were three of us actually drumming, was shown in the opening ceremonies of the 2016 Rio Games in Brazil in the Olympic Stadium. I guess it was amazing. The point is the video is three minutes long. And it's to the song, Yes, I Can, which is an old Sammy Davis song. And again, you can see this at alvinlaw.com or even on YouTube. It's a Paralympics trailer. But we recorded the soundtrack at Abbey Road Studios in London. Wow. wow. I want you to picture that at 17 years old, I wanted to be a rock star. <laughs> at 18 years old, I went to Mount Royal College to become a broadcaster. I wasn't a rock star. Huh. And 56 years old i'm sitting in behind a drum kit in abbey road studios recording the soundtrack to this video and the crew is kind of like man how'd you learn to do that and (laughs) all the answer was real simple i just played every day i just played every day and i got to be good at it i'm not the world's best drummer i understand that but if you watch the smile on my face when i'm playing the drums you'll know that that's what it's all about is getting joy out of your life
0: yeah, as long wow. as you have fun doing it, like, it doesn't hurt. It I know, I know Dane has a musical career, but I don't know where he's going with it not as of yet, but four months a ago, I can imagine, <laughs> I can imagine you had, you had fun doing it. It's the opposite it,
2: right? of a career. It's just like, <laughs> I'm just making it for fun, exactly what Alvin's saying. Like, yeah. for me, it's just, it's just completely just therapeutic. Like, you just hop on the piano, you play some notes, you record it, you listen back, you, you start to arrange some, Pattern like I I I never learned to play piano, but I'm just like playing what I think sounds good, and it's just it's just so fun. Like you just you start hearing like a song come together, and you're like, whoa, that's. I mean, it's not like anything amazing. I'm I'm not like anywhere near like the people I look up to. However, like it's a start, and I feel like that's all you can do is you just start, and you if you enjoy it enough, you'll you'll continue learning, and it turns into something eventually. I hope so. So I played a duet with
3: David (laughs) Foster. (laughs)
2: <laughs> David Foster
3: The David yeah. Foster, yeah It's one of the telethons I do in Vancouver for Variety Now, before you get all carried away thinking I could play as good as David Foster <laughs> That didn't happen In fact, what we were doing was a little gag on the on the show David Foster literally was a big part of the telethon back in the 80s and 90s And I went out on stage because we were doing a pitch And somebody said, because David had just finished playing and singing Someone said, oh Alvin, you play the piano, go show David I don't even know if there's footage of this anywhere around, but I played Chopsticks. And then David Foster played the accompaniment (laughs) to Chopsticks. And that's a true story, guys. When I played Chopsticks when I was a kid, that was me starting. Then I wanted lessons, and I couldn't get them. But one of my favorite stories ever involves Mount Royal. The first week of the school in 1978 in September, I was accepted. And I was a, a, I was a literally, you know, an immigrant coming to Calgary from Saskatchewan, doing no soul. And I'm wandering around that incredible building, which in 1978 was really remarkable. And I happened to be cruising around the third floor and came across a piano just sitting in the hallway next to the Conservatory of Music. It wasn't huh. locked. It was a Sunday afternoon. I sat down and played chopsticks and I kind of laughed at myself and went, I can do more than this because of my music theory. From playing jazz, I knew how chord progressions work. So spreading my toes on the keys, you know, just kind of like this, because I can (laughs) spread them quite a ways, I just started farting around. I didn't care if I was writing something, but it sure felt good to actually just make something up on a piano. May I recommend to your audience, this is a golden time to learn an instrument.
2: It is. Go
3: to a store and buy a guitar, I'm not sure if they're open or not, but Or whatever, order it on Kijiji, order it on Amazon, buy a little mini keyboard, buy a harmonica, whatever it takes. Now is the time to do something you've always wanted to do and always said, Oh, I don't have the time. I'm being Mm -hmm. sarcastic again. But isn't it wonderful? Especially the guitar. I've got a ukulele. I can't reach it right now, but I'm trying to figure out how to play that. Why? (laughs) Because it's fun. It's supposed
1: to be fun.
2: Oh, exactly. Like you hear about, you hear about. A lot of musicians, their origin stories, and a lot of them, they just say the same thing. It's like, yeah, I grew up in a small town. It, it, we didn't have very good weather where I'm from, like, it, whether it's rainy or snowy. So yeah. we, just, we just jammed out in our basements, and it's like, that that made, you know, the Beatles, like, they just, they just played at, at home. They just had nothing else to do. That made so many other bands that, uh, you know, it, it's just, I, I think this will give birth to a lot of... Uh, You know, new found talents for a lot of people that they were either suppressing, like they thought, oh, I can't make money out of this, so I just won't do it. And now it's like, well, does it really matter? Like, it shouldn't always be about money. Now it's, and now it's a perfect opportunity to, to put that aside and be like, I'm going to play because it's fun and it's because it's fulfilling to create something. Yeah. I think it's going to be pretty, pretty interesting what comes out of this for a lot of people. Um, I, before we have like nine minutes left, I don't want to leave this question. Uh, I don't want to forget this question because uh, station manager Ben Goodman would would hate me for, for not <laughs> ask, asking you, Alvin, about this. Um, you were also in the film um, Julian Donkey Boy, the Harmony <laughs> Corrine, Uh He is a huge fan of, of Harmony Corrine, and he's, he's made me a huge <laughs> fan Corrine. of the character. I, I just want to know what it was like working with Harmony Corrine because that's... That's incredible. He's
3: a legend. Well, you know what was actually quite amazing was working with Werner Herzog. Werner Herzog? Wow. Yeah, he was, my, he was my, well, I can't believe you just mentioned that. And I love that you just mentioned it because there's another example. You know, Harmony Karim saw me on The X-Files. Oh, And that's how this all happened, because Harmony Corinne's a bit of an oddball, right? And my episode of Humbug was also acting with a guy named Jim Rose. Jim Rose does the Fringe Festival circuits, and pardon me for being inappropriate here, but what Jim Rose is known for is tying his penis in a knot. <laughs> I know, I just made you flinch, didn't I? Exactly. So Jim Rose was on this this episode of Humbug with X-Files, right? Harmony Corinne saw that sent a note to my office saying, I'd love to have you in this film. And what he actually wanted me to do real quickly was to actually be the neighbor of the main character's father. In, the, in Julian Donkey Boy, the main character is a psychiatric nurse who's getting schizophrenic himself. And mm-hmm. he lives at home with his parents and his sister. And uh, Werner Herzog is his dad. So he comes next door to get away from the house. And we sit there, believe it or not, drinking wine playing cards, and watching female figure skating on television.
1: But I'm actually wow.
3: married to wow. a six-foot-two, 400-pound black woman with 18-inch-long fingernails who I drum in our dining room as a precursor to, you know what? This was Harmony's idea, and I'm going, yeah, okay, I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I never acted oh my in my life, and x <laughs> wasn't really acting oh, either. Oh. But it was awesome. Oh, wow. I love anybody. And back in those days, by the way, Harmony was experimenting with no scripts, no artificial lighting, and he was starting to shoot mainstream video on 35 millimeter cameras with memory sticks. It was right at the very beginning. So he was doing stuff that was out there. But working with Werner Herzog, I didn't even realize who the hell he was. was Oh my God, that was an amazing experience. And by the way, that's another thing about you, sir, being a filmmaker. Don't follow. The bottom line that everybody has to do in film: you yeah. create stuff, you make stuff. With all the new channels now, oh my god, that's another thing. Are you guys doing this while you're home watching really weird stuff on Netflix, <laughs> even videos? Going, how did they get that paid for? Not yeah. being a critic, I'm just saying there is so much out there now. Don't oh, be shy gosh. in you know pushing the boundaries like Harmony Corinne did, or Werner Herzog for that matter.
2: That's such a good message to hear. And I think you're right. Just, just like Harmony Corinne is so, like, he makes movies that you can just tell come from, like, his heart. Like, it's just like, it's just his, it's just his idea. Like, more, like, there's no outside influence. And it becomes so unique because, like, it's, it's literally, like, from his brain. Like,
3: <laughs> Except the know. Matthew McConaughey flick didn't go very well, did it?
0: Beach bum, Beach
2: Bomb.
3: <laughs> 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 have you, seen, have you seen, seen all
2: of Corrine's, uh films after that?
3: No, I, I, no, I'm actually, I'm not a follower of his, yeah. but I, 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 I've got such respect for the man from what I sincerely said. You know, like I said, it's not my cup of tea, but that's not, a, that's yeah. not what's important. You know, yeah. we, we have to be willing to acknowledge, this was the greatest lesson I learned in my life when I was growing up. Respect other people's tastes. For sure. Simple yeah. as that.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, Harmony Corinne's <laughs> not my cup of tea either, but I mean, I gotta give him props as being like his authentic true self and yeah. actually like making his vision come to life. Like if you can't, if you, you may not be into his stuff, but you have to at least credit him for that, you know, like that he's able to do that. Depending on whether or not you view it as successful or not, that's your own opinion, but you still gotta hand it to him.
2: Absolutely. Which is, which
0: is incredible. Yeah. Harmony Corinne, what a guy. <laughs> yeah, Ben, Ben would
2: not let me like, would not let me hear the end of it if I missed asking you about that because he has the beach bum poster in his office our station manager at CMRU.ca and he's just he's obsessed with Harmony Korine's movies and when he when he saw that you were in Julian Donkey Boy boy his mind was just blown like he was just like
3: what <laughs> well now you have an assignment kids go and look up Harmony Corinne and Julian Donkey Boy and one of the stars of the show Alvin Law like can you imagine that
2: yeah
3: so, you have an assignment for a Friday afternoon I'm going okay. to
2: go watch it. I, I, I can find it online. I'm going to watch it tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea where it is. I'm, I've got it
3: on DVD, but it's mine. I'm not, I'm not lending it out to
0: anybody. <laughs> this is crazy. Understandable. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be. This is uh, funny how we've come oh, full circle. I know. Sorry, what?
2: It's just, it's just so, it's so, so cool. Also, before we finish, I also figured out something the three of us are all connected by. So we're all, we were all well, you, you, MRU alumni, we're current students. We've all been to MRU, but also, I, I don't want to be wrong with this, Brennan, but we all have family from Saskatchewan. Ha! Your, your family's in Saskatchewan too, right, Brennan? Oh, yeah, kinda. Like. I just realized, cause that's just yeah. something else. That's something else. And it's your dad's side, I think, Brennan?
0: Yeah. And it's my dad's side. And my it's, dad's it's your... mom's sister lived in
2: Saskatchewan. So it's like, yeah, yeah, basically. And Elvin, your dad's family uh, stayed in Saskatchewan, like, or have been in Saskatchewan for a while?
3: Yeah, actually, what's interesting is my dad came from England in 1923 on a boat all by himself when he was 16 years old. Wow. And my mom wagon trained from Oklahoma in 1909, I believe, coming Mm -hmm. up from Oklahoma as a small child. They homesteaded just outside of Kenora, Saskatchewan. My dad ended up on a train... Uh, west to do whatever he was doing in 1925 he met my mom in 1928 they got married in 1930 in Kenora and then they moved to Yorkton down the road which is about two hours from Regina where my dad was the service manager for an international harvester dealership for 32 years and uh, basically mom was so bored not having kids at home and the grandchildren away that's why she set up the foster home just to kind of have something to do and that's how I came to live with them so Absolutely. And and by the way, that's what I was going to say a while back. Pardon me was. I'm such a believer in nurture versus nature. And if there was ever a good time to practice nurturing, I know that was kind of a neat segue. It's right. now, And you know what? If we if we have a past that we're proud of, great. If we have a past that we don't have pride in, then create our future. It's as simple as that. You know, we've all got stories. That's the other thing, too. Maybe you can think of this as if you're a student right now attending university. Rather than think of the negativity of what's going on right now, consider this idea, and that is this is a great time to not make a goal or make a plan, but to start to think about what you actually want to do with your life, and maybe even making notes, writing notes down, journaling, whatever it takes to get yourself through this time, but always believe you're in the middle of writing your story. What is that story going to look like in 10 years?
2: That's incredible. Just like that, we've hit an hour just as you finished um, that sentence. That was perfectly, a perfect way to end the show. Oh my goodness. That was, you must have timed that. You must have timed, you must have known. Yeah. Hey, a this was all planned.
3: I'm a graduate of Mount Royal Broadcasting. If you don't pay attention to the clock, you get, you know what?
0: <laughs> that was yeah, beautiful. This, this whole thing is scripted, <laughs> Yeah, we timed <laughs> Down, yeah, down we to wrote, the minute.
1: There you go. <laughs> oh,
2: man. That was so fun, Alvin. Thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah, thanks. It was a pleasure. And I next time we'll be in the studio. Definitely. Please, please please come. Please come as soon as it's safe. And we're back. As soon as it's safe. Please,
0: please come. <laughs> We'd love to have you there. Yeah. Be amazing. Thanks, guys. What an experience.
3: Means Thank a you lot. so much. Really, really does.
0: Thank okay, you. Okay, this this Thank has, you has you been DM your BF. On. This is Wait, game do you want to plug BF? your social media before we go? Do you have any social media, like Instagram, Twitter that you want to play? I'm not a big
3: guy on Instagram, but I definitely have Facebook at Alvin Law. I've definitely got uh, Twitter at ToesLaw22, and I've definitely got uh, LinkedIn, which is probably my big one. Okay. But but alvinlaw.com is the best place to go visit. In fact, nice little journey. Go there today and check out some videos and have a little bit of fun, because they're really not just about my business, they're very much about my story, and I'm... I really appreciate you guys letting me share this with you today. It's been a real pleasure. It really has.
0: Oh, Thank you so much. Is I can't wait to do know. this again. Stay well, line.
2: everybody. Stay well. Uh, the show will be out in, uh, in a few days. We'll be able to post it, and you'll be able to promote it right away.
3: Excellent.
1: Probably
2: by Sunday or Monday at the latest.
3: Okay. let me all know. Cool. All cool. right. Watch those
1: Bye-bye. <laughs> bye. Stay healthy, Bye, guys. Later. <laughs> see you later. bye See